0: Uh, today is the 13th part of our movement series on the book of Acts, okay? And next week will be our last. Next week will be our last before we celebrate Christmas on the 27th, and then we're going to jump in into a brand new series on January. So Acts 27, I'm going to preach from verse 13 to verse 38, but let's just read together verse 21 to 26, okay? If you have your Bible, read it together in count of three. One, two, three. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, man, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, God, that you preserve this wonderful story so that we can study it tonight, that we can take a look at it and that we can learn from it. And God, we know 2020 hasn't been easy for many of us. It's been a year where... We just filled with many chaos and storm. And yet, despite of that, through this story, I pray that we find encouragement, knowing that no matter what kind of storm that you allow into our life, there's not a single millisecond that you are surprised by it. You are absolutely in control and that is our confidence in life. So help us, God, to really understand this passage And Holy Spirit. I pray that you translate this passage and make it come alive. So this will not be just a knowledge that we know, but this become a revelation. This become a life to us, Lord, and that will change our mind, our soul, and our heart. And we ask this in the name of Beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys want be seated? So if there is a universal year of storm, I will think that will be 2020. Okay, I haven't seen at least in the last 13 years, 15 years, 25 years, you can guess my age, of my life, I have yet to see this kind of storm. Okay, 2020 is something unique. So it's a year when all of us experience some kind of storm. But for me personally, uh, for me, the biggest storm in my life happened in 2009. Now, some of you, most of you, I think know the story. So what happened was I just graduated from Bible College in Dallas, Texas and to prepare my life for ministry. So I came back to Sydney in 2009. I'm I'm ready to change the world for God, okay? And then two weeks, just two weeks in, a big storm hit my life. Now, I forgot the exact date. Maybe my dad remember. But I remember it was Monday in the month of June. And back then, I was very fit. I mean, very fit to the point that, you know, I ran in the morning. I did morning run, okay? Think about it. Yoshi did morning run? Yes. I was that fit. So I did my morning run, and then in the afternoon, I went to GP for my annual blood check. Okay? And everything seemed fine. And after I went to GP, and, you know, I went and do my daily activities as usual. Then around 8 p.m. at night, you know, for whatever reason, my parents were not at home. And I don't know where my sister and Kailu was, but my phone rang. My phone rang, and because there was no one at home, I have to pick up the phone. I don't usually pick up the phone, by the way. But because no one at home, okay, I pick up the phone. And to my surprise, it was my GP. And I thought, that's weird. Why would my GP call me 8 o'clock at night? Okay, so I I said, what's up? And the doctor said, can I speak to your parents? And I told them my parents weren't home, but you can leave a message to me. And he said, no, I want to talk to your parents. I'm like, okay, you can call them on your cell phone. So. Okay. So I hung up, I didn't know what going on, I went back after, and I went back to play my PlayStation, if I'm not wrong, and then, um, okay, I was young back then. <laughs> um, and then um, an hour later, my parents came back home, and then he, they called me to go to the living room, okay, and they told me to sit. Now, I don't know about you, but that usually happens when I'm in trouble. So my assumption was, uh-oh, what did I do, okay, I, I'm like, what the heck did I do this time? I know I'm in big trouble, but to my surprise, they told me what is until today still the biggest storm of my life, that I was diagnosed with leukemia, and I had to be taken to the hospital that very night. So in June 2009, I was hit with the biggest storm in my life. Now, one of the most important questions that we got to deal with when we talk about gospel movement is this. When you start go out there and spread the gospel, what happened was this, okay? You'll find many questions that people ask that bewildered you. Let me make a confession. There are many questions that the more that I study the Bible, the more questions that I don't have an answer to, okay? And one of the most (laughs) asked questions that we often ask as a Christian is the question of pain and suffering, okay? The question of the storm of life. Basically, the question goes like this, you know, why did God allow Christians? to experience tremendous pain and suffering. If God loves us so much, why life is so hard? If God is powerful, why did He allow suffering? Why did He allow my parents to get divorced? Why did my family member die of COVID-19? Why did my sister get raped? Why did I lose my job? Why is following Jesus is so hard? And I believe the text for tonight, it will answer that question. And I think this is very important for all of us. Because you might you might not be in storm right now, but let me tell you, a storm is coming your way. Okay, storm is coming. Every one of us, as we play part in the gospel movement, we will face storms of life. Okay? And this is where we gotta be careful. And this is where I believe prosperity theology got it very wrong. Now, if you're not familiar with prosperity theology, prosperity theology basically says this: if you follow Jesus then God will bless you with health and wealth, okay? You'll be fine no matter what. Jesus will take care of you. Everything will be smooth. But today, many people rejected that theology because they realized that theology is not biblical and is sufficient to help us in our walk with life, in our walk, in our walk with God, okay? So they rejected, many Christians today rejected prosperity theology. But what many Christians today adopted is not prosperity, so speaking, but soft prosperity, Okay, let me put another word for that, Disney theology. Disney theology basically says this, you know what, you might go through pain right now, you might go through trials, but don't worry, just hold on. As long as you hold on, eventually things will get better and you will receive double blessing in life. Okay, that's Disney theology. So yes, there was trial, but don't worry, after you go through this trial, you will experience tremendous blessing in your life, double blessing, okay? And they yeah, usually use the story of Job to communicate that. Okay. And here's my problem with that. So let me first admit that prosperity theology has something right. And that is this that is God's love to bless his people. It is God's desire to bless his people. Okay, so John, the book of John, says that God is a fountain of living water that will finally quench our thirst. We are to drink from Him and receive blessing and satisfaction from Him. And what's amazing about this living water, according to John, is this, you and I are the one that has thirst, and yet it is the living water that come and pursue us. We have been drinking from the wrong fountain, but God, in His goodness and grace, He came and pursue us. So yes, praise God for His generosity and His desire to bless His people. But this is where prosperity theology gets it very wrong. They equate God's ultimate blessing to health and wealth. While the Bible tells us that the greatest blessing God can ever give us is the gift of Himself. God is the greatest blessing of the gospel. So He is the living water that quenches our thirst. He's the breath of life that satisfies hunger. He's the song that we sing. He's the joy that fills our heart. He is the reason that we live. He is full stop. Christ is done. That is the gospel. So if I can put it another word, that means this. The gospel is not if we trust Jesus, then we will get everything we want. The gospel is if we trust Jesus, we get Jesus, full stop. It is only when you get this right, then you have what it takes to face the storm of life. Because if you don't get this right, and you have different expectations when storm of life come and hits you, you will be disappointed. You will walk away from Christian faith, and you will say, God, where were you? I thought you promised A, B, C, and D. Well, God said, hold on a second. I never promised you that. That's why we must get the gospel right. So let me give you the context of this passage first. By this time, uh, Paul had gone through a few trials because of his faith, okay? And in all those trials, surprisingly, every one of them found Paul to be innocent. They can't blame Paul. I mean, this guy's just innocent. So if Paul had not, you know, appealed to Caesar, Paul could have been set free, but because Paul appealed to Caesar, apparently now Paul had to be traveled, had to be brought from Caesarea to Italy. And that is why then Paul was entrusted to a a cohort, I mean, a Roman centurion by the name of Julius. Julius was to take Paul and every other other prisoners to Rome, okay? And of course, you know, that requires a trip by boat because they don't have an airplane back then. And apparently, there's no direct plane, uh, boat uh, from Caesarea to Italy, so they have to make a couple of stops. So, when they get to Fair Heaven, the name, the name of the city, Fair Heaven, Paul tells Julius, Hey, Julius, if we go ahead with this journey, I perceive that we're going to get into trouble. Because the season right now is dangerous for sailing, it's not a good season for sailing. So, let's stop in Fair Heaven for a few months. But then, you know, Julius thinking, you know, you are a preacher. What do you know about sailing? So then Julius asked the sailors and the sailors like, let's go ahead. Don't worry about it. We can take care of it. So they go. They went. And in the middle of the journey, okay, they experienced a huge storm. And what's interesting about this passage is this. In the middle of the storm, Luke was with Paul. So Luke, the author of the book of Acts, was actually present in the midst of this storm. How do we know? Because he, he used a lot of we in this, in this narrative. We, 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 we. So, and then he gives this vivid, this detailed explanation of what happened um, in this journey. So the only, reason, the only way that he can do that is if he sees if he's with, with Paul in that storm. And here's my conviction. Why did Luke give us such a vivid detail of the journey. Because Luke wants to tell us something about the storm of life. The way Paul deal with storm of life in this passage, in this narrative, is a lesson for all of us how we can deal with our storms of life, okay? And what not, what's the difference about this storm is this. You know, whenever we talk about storm, usually what happens is this. We talk about Jesus' account, right? Where Jesus was sleeping in the boat, and then they, the disciple woke Jesus up. Jesus, would you not care about us? And then Jesus said, What? Be still. And the moment he said, be still, what happened? The storm quieted down. There's a miracle. Supernatural intervention. In this passage, there's none. No miracle, no supernatural intervention. But here's what we know. God kept his words. What God has promised, he will accomplish. Okay? So I separate this narrative into four, sec- four sections. The storm, the paradox, the purpose, the presence. Let's look at the storm. Verse 13 to verse 20. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under a lee of a small island called Koda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hosting it up, they used supports to undergrid ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the cirrus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were finally storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hand. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, nor small tempest lay on us, all, of us, all, all hope of our being safe was at last abandoned. Now, can you see how vivid, how detailed this description is? Okay. So when they begin to travel at first, everything looks fine. Okay. There's no hint of a storm whatsoever. It starts with a gentle breeze of the south wind. But as they embark on the journey, very soon what happened, the gentle breeze turned into a horrific storm. And just like that, the ship was carried by the storm. And here's what happened. The people in the ship try everything humanly possible to save themselves and the boat. Now, I'm not going to try to explain to you the technicality of the details that they did because I have no idea. I'm not a sailor, okay? I'm not sure the details of what's happening there. But what we do know, the point of telling all of this is in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appear for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So the reason that Luke gives us this Vivid description is just to tell us one thing. That the situation that they're in right now is absolutely hopeless. There's nothing that they can do. They are at the end of themselves. Okay? So what can we learn? So we learn that the storm of life, they can come anytime, anywhere, and they are very rude. They do not need invitation. They self-invite themselves to our life Okay, So I wish the storm of life, when they come to our life, they will you know, give us a heads up. Hey, Yossi, I'm coming to your life. Be ready. Okay, If that's the case, we'll be ready, right? But the storm of life hardly ever give us any warning. So suddenly, out of nowhere, you know, one moment, the sky is blue, the sun shines bright, and we're singing. And then the next moment, our life is unraveling. The very next moment, the sky is dark, the sun is nowhere to be seen. If there's anything 2020 teaches us, it's this. The storm does not need an invitation. COVID 19 happened just like that, and all of us are still recovering from its effect today. And here's something that we gotta understand about Christian life God never promised you and me a smooth journey. Never. In fact, two years prior to the storm, God told Paul, Hey, Paul, one day you will stand before Caesar. One day you will get to Italy and get to stand before Caesar and witness for me in front of Caesar. So, yes, so in one sense, Paul knew that he will be in Rome. He will get to Rome. But what Paul never expects is how he gets to Rome. See, a lot of time in our Christian life, I think you and I, we are so focused on our destination. We think about that's what I want to be, that's what I want to get, that's my dream. And that is not wrong, but oftentimes I think God cares so much more about the journey rather than the the destination. See, we are more interested in getting to the destination while God is far more interested in in the journey to the destination. But here's one question that I want us to deal with, okay? Why storm? I mean, you and I, we can understand when a storm came for Jonah. Okay, so one day, there's a prophet of God by the name of Jonah, and God told Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the people of Nineveh. But then Jonah disobeyed God, and he decided to uh, go to a city called Tarshish. And because of it, God sent a huge storm to, that threatened to destroy the boat and kill everyone on the boat. I mean, we get that right, right? We get that. Because, you know, Jonah disobeyed God, and that's why God sent storm. It makes sense. But when we look at the life of Paul... This is a man who walks in the will of God. He obeys God completely. In fact, he knows for sure that he is walking in the will of God. It is the will of God for him to get to Rome. So the question for you and me is: why did God allow this huge storm to threaten their life? The question, the question is this. A lot of people will ask this same question in this form. The question is this. If God is good and powerful, why did he allow evil and suffering? Okay, have you have encountered that question before? Like, this is one of the most common questions in Christianity. And there's two logical answers. First, either God is powerful and he's not loving, or God is loving but not powerful. So, if God is powerful, then he's able to get rid of any evil, any pain and suffering in a heartbeat like that. Bam! But because there's evil and suffering, it means that God is not powerful. Or if God is loving and He does not like us to experience pain and evil and suffering, that means He's not powerful enough to stop evil and suffering. You with me on that? And that's the, that's the number one of the Achilles heel against Christianity because Christianity believes that our God is both powerful and loving. So how do we answer the problem of evil and suffering? But let me show you one big flaw in dealing with the question of the storm of life. Okay, there's one big flaw. There's one assumption inside this train of thought that is extremely flawed. Okay, here's the wrong assumption. Since I can't see the point of the storm of life, since I can't find any good reason behind it, it means that there cannot be any point to it. Okay, that's the wrong assumption. I mean, do you realize how foolish this assumption is? Let me give you an example. When I was 18, I was brokenhearted because my ex-girlfriend cheated on me three times in a matter of one month. And to make it worse, and to make it worse, okay, I never told you guys this. To make it worse, she was the one who broke up with me. I mean, after cheating on me three times, at least give me, you know... the the space to be the one who ended the relationship. But she doesn't. She cheated on me three times and I was forgiving. I was kind. Okay, I love you. I'm going to take you, receive you, whoever you are. And then she dumped me. That's right before my birthday. Okay? I was devastated. Okay? Because that was the first serious relationship in my life. Prior to that, I have the hidden relationship. Okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. I really thought... I was going to marry her. I really thought that. So I was ready to be very forgiving, very kind, even though she cheated on me. And then she dumped me. And I could not see any reason why I had to go through what I went through. I was convinced she was the one after everything that she did to me. But now, when I'm a lot older, looking back at it, I realize I am extremely grateful that I did not marry her. Okay, I am convinced, I am convinced, if I marry her, my life will be crazy today. See, this is something that aging teaches us, right? Aging teaches us, the older we are, the more thankful we are that a lot of things that we wanted in the past, we do not receive it. Okay, let me just give you a question. Married couple, couple of you married. Okay, here's a question for you. Raise your hand, okay, if you're glad you did not marry your ex, raise your hand. Married people. If you do not raise your hand, just let me tell you, you are in a big trouble when you on your way home tonight. Okay? You know what? So that means, that means this, at the moment, you don't feel like there's any reason to it, but now looking back at it, you realize, ah, oh, that's actually a good thing that happened to me. So if that's what 15 years of intellectual gap gave you, how much more does the gap between you, who are very finite, with the wisdom of the infinite God? So it's just because you're not able to see any reason does not necessarily mean that there is no reason. So there is a reason behind storms. We might not be able to see it right now. But then I want, you, I want us to take a look at the paradox of Christian life okay, that we see in this passage. Then how can we handle the storm then? Verse 21 to 32. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For these very nights there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, man, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless this man stay in the ship, you cannot be safe. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Here's the paradox of Christian life. How do we deal with the storm of life? There are two truths that we must hold together. First, trust in God's providence. Look at what Paul does. I mean, he can't resist, right? He starts start by telling them, I told you so. I mean, you should have listened to me. But because you do not listen to me, we are in this predicament right now. But don't worry, okay? Because an angel of the Lord come to me and tell me that none of you will die. None of you. So God has promised that every one of us will make it safe to Rome, And not only that, that I will stand before Caesar and give witness of Christ. So that means this, Paul, this is the reason why Paul is calm in the middle of the storm. Because Paul is confident that God's promise will come true. God will not fail to keep his promise. It is confident in God's purpose for us that will preserve us in the storm of life. And until God's purpose for you and me is accomplished, listen, we are invincible. If our work on earth is not done, if God's purpose for us on earth is not done, then it does not matter what happens. You and I will not die. But if God's purpose for us is done, then why do we want to stay here a minute longer? So the first thing that we need to understand is one hand. We got to trust in God's providence. It means this, nothing happened by chance. Everything happened because of God's permission, okay? Trust in God's providence. However, the second truth is this, you got to embrace responsibility, okay? There's two truths. Just because Paul trusts, has absolute trust in God's providence does not mean he remains idle. Look at the story. He does not say to the people, guys, you guys are free to do whatever you want. God has said that we'll make it, we'll be safe and we'll make it to Rome. So you can go snorkeling, you can have barbecue, you can do whatever you want. I'm just going to pray and read my Bible. Okay, we're going to make it to Rome. Paul does not do that. But you know what Paul did? Paul takes responsibility. So when some of the sailors, they try to escape from the ship, Paul does not remain idle. Paul says to Julius, Julius, you know, if they escape, we're going to die. So Paul does not say, you know what? It does not matter if the sailors escape because God has promised that we're going to make it safe to Rome. So just let it be. Paul does not do that. Paul understands. So he used logic. He used common sense. And he understands if the sailors leave the ship, we're in trouble. So that means God's promise that they will make it safe to Rome presupposes that they will stay together. Okay, let me put it this way. It means this. Trust in God's providence is not a passive trust but an active trust. The promise of God does not negate human responsibility. God always keeps His promises, so whenever He promises something, you can be sure that He will accomplish it. But it does not mean you are free from responsibility. Here's why it's important. I've talked to many Christians, okay, including myself, my own heart. You and I, we like to choose one over the other. Well, if God is in control, if the future is fixed, then our choices do not really matter. On the other hand, if our choice does matter, it means that the future is open. We have the power to shape our future by our choices. We like to think it's either or, but God, but the Bible says it's not either or. We like to think it's either God is sovereign or man is responsible. But the Bible says that God is absolutely in control. And yet, our choice absolutely matters. Now, some of you, I realize now, some of you are like, but yours. It does not make any sense. I can't put the two together. And I don't blame you. Because this is one of the mysteries of the Bible, how these two truths work together in harmony. And it's not as if, you know what, it's 50-50. God is 50% in control, then you are 50% responsible. Or 70-30, or 80-20, it's not that. But the Bible teaches 100-100. God is 100% in charge, and we are 100% responsible for what we do. Okay, let me put it in a story to make this clear. Let's rewind back to early 2018. At the end of January 2018, when it finally dawned on me that my beloved co-pastor actually leaving to Melbourne with HE, anxiety hit, okay? So I woke up one morning and I could feel this tremendous weight on my shoulder. And I thought it was just momentary panic attack, you know, I was just maybe have this anxious, anxious panic attack and it will go away by, you know, after a couple of days, but it didn't. In fact, it got worse and worse and worse. Here's why. Because I believe that God is calling our church to be an international church. So God wants us not to be just Indonesian church that reached the Indonesian in the city of Sydney, but God wants us to reach out to the multicultural people, to all nations. Okay? So I know that. So I have this conviction that God wants us to be international church. But here's the problem though. I do not think I have what it takes to do it. And not only that I do not think I have what it takes to do it, now... The burden is different. Now because Pastor Achan left Melbourne, now I hold the sole responsibility of leading this church in that direction. So not only that, I do not feel capable of leading myself toward that direction. Now I have to lead all of you in that direction. Now do you realize why I had a panic attack now? Because now I feel like, oh my God, this, this is so much beyond me. I can't do it. So I keep begging God for days, I think maybe possibly weeks. God, I don't know what to do. Please help me. Please help me. I don't think I can do it. I don't have what it takes to do it. But finally, until finally it breaks through on me, finally one day, I don't know what happened, but the Spirit just lit that fire in me. And he says, you know, I have this sensation, strong sensation that the Spirit say, Yossi, I got this. With another word, what God was saying to me, don't worry about it. It is exactly because you think that you cannot do it, that I will do it. Because now we can dance. Okay, that's the word that I use. We can dance. That means now I can lead you and you just follow me. Okay? So at that moment, I have this strong conviction, I'll be okay no matter what. Okay? That's, I trust in God's providence. Now, here's the question. So we started Rock City International in March 2018. Here's the question. Doesn't mean that after that, I just do nothing. Okay. God... Have your will. I'm just going to eat my popcorn and watch what you do. No, right? Because if that's my attitude, we're not going to be here today. Okay? You guys are not going to be here today. I'm going to be somewhere in, I don't know, in, in Redfern maybe. I don't know. Homo. Okay? Right? Not homo. Hobo. It's wrong word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but if I understand that there's two truths that I've got to hold together, it means this, I can't just remain passive in leading Rock city International. But now because I believe that God is in control and God will lead me, then the next question now that I've got to ask is, what do I need to do? What decision do I need to make? Okay, do I need to create leadership team? Okay, what am I going to do? What sermon series are we going to do? How can I encourage the people to reach out to the city of Sydney? But here's the truth that you need to understand, though. If it all were up to me, if it all to just up to my responsibility that the the future of this church is on my choices, I will not be able to wake up in the morning because I will feel extreme pressure and I will get frightened. I mean, if you do not feel panic at the thought of having full control of your life and God has no control over your life, you're not thinking straight. You're not. Because one small decision, one wrong decision could change the shape of your destiny forever. If your future is only up to you. You with me on that? So that's why. That's why I think, you know, the Bible is very clear that we gotta embrace both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Because Paul believed in both. That's why he's not panicked in the midst of the storm. But he's not passive either. He's taking command, he's telling people what to do. And there is nothing more practical than to believe that we are absolutely responsible for our choices and God is absolutely in control at the same time. And it's only when we hold this truth together that we find empowerment and comfort. It is empowering because it teaches us that your choice, my choice does matter. But it's comforting because it tells us that we cannot mess up God's plan for our life. See, this is the paradox of Christian life. we got to hold these two truths together. You with me so far? But let's look at the purpose. Okay, I get it, yes. Okay, i got to hold these two truths together. But what is the purpose of my storm? What is the purpose of the storm of life? Verse 33 to 38. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said this thing, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. See? Now we get to see a little glimpse of what is the purpose of the song. So by this time, all the sailors and the passengers in the ship, they lost hope already. Including Luke, the one that writes this account. But not Paul. Paul trusts in the promise of God and he also acts responsibly. So when everybody has no appetite to eat, Paul understands, he used common sense. Guys, if you don't eat, you guys are not gonna make it. You gotta eat. So Paul is able to think clearly. Paul is able to use his mind clearly. Because sometimes I hear this. Sometimes people say that Christians who are so heavenly minded, they are of no earthly use. But let me tell you, the truth is completely the opposite. It is those who are heavenly minded that is of earthly use. People who are earthly minded have no hope when the storm of life comes. It is only those who are heavenly minded that have hope and able to help others when the storms of life come. It is only when you understand this that you can live a practical Christianity. See, Paul is able to help and encourage others. And that is the very reason why God put Paul in a ship that's heading for a storm. Because think about it. If Paul was not on board, you know what's going to happen? Everybody on the ship will die. But because Paul was present on the boat, no one perish. Paul's presence in the boat changes everything. Now, do you start to see what happened? now? It means this. Your storm and my storm is not just about us. Our storms in life are for the sakes of other people around us to see the work of Christ in us. <laughs> see, people does not take notice of you in the gentle breeze of life. They don't. But people take notice of you when the storm of life comes and you remain calm. Something different about you. There's something about you that the world does not have and that's when they take notice of you. So that means this, how we face our storm attract the attention of people around us and it bring glory to God. So that means there's so much more than just simply about us in our storm. Paul put it this way, one of our favorite verse. Romans 8, 28. I'm pretty sure some of you can quote it on top of your head. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, Paul, now this is massive. So Paul does not say this. Paul does not say all the good things in life work for your good, then all the bad things of life, you know, guys, just suck it up. He does not say that. So he said, now Paul says that all things in his life, including both the good and the bad, are actually working together for our good. And Paul does not say this. Do you know what, guys? You only need to see the bad things in life, the storm of life from different perspective. And if you see the bad things in life from different perspective, then the bad will become good. Oh no, he does not do that. Paul does not do that. So Paul does not say evil is good. Oh no. Evil is evil. Bad is bad. Storm is storm. So it is wrong to call evil good. Evil is not God's original purpose for us. But what this first tells us is that even in the midst of evil, batting, storm, cancer, whatever it is, there's one truth that we can hold to, that God is at work. Even though when you don't feel like it, even though you do not see it, it does not mean God is not doing anything. And I know what's in your mind right now. Okay, yes, I get it. Okay, okay, you're saying that God is working, okay? Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 3,600 seconds an hour. God is always at work. I get it. But here's my problem. I just don't see what God is doing right now. Isn't that our problem? I mean, I know He's working something good, but I just don't see it. I don't feel it. But let me tell you why. Because the story is not finished. Because if you know anything about a good story, then you know. Resolution only happened at the end of the story. So from God's vantage point, from God's eternal point, the story is done. It's good. But from our vantage point, from our limited point of view, it's still ongoing. So we do not see the full story. But yet, we have this confidence that at this very second, God is working in ways that we cannot see and comprehend to accomplish His good purpose in us. Now, I've been saying this again and again and again. I will not get bored of this, okay? Leukemia, for me, leukemia is one of the best things ever happened in my life. I know some people think I'm crazy for saying that, but I do not believe for one second, in 2009, when I was diagnosed with leukemia, God in heaven was like, oh my gosh, angel 0104, I mean 040186. Okay, that's a hint for you. Angel, number this number. Why did you allow Yossi to get leukemia? No, because maybe the angel, oh, sorry God, I was taking a toilet break. It does not happen. God says, when he allow leukemia to happen in my life he knows exactly what he's doing he knows exactly what he's doing so it's not as if you know sorry yoshi i just don't see that attacks coming but god is giving you and i assurance that's this the enemy meant evil against us oh yes so I'm not saying leukemia is good. Don't hear me saying that. I'm saying leukemia is evil. It kills many people. And the enemy tried to kill me with that very thing. But here's what's happened at the same time. So the enemy wanted to kill me with leukemia. And God, according to Psalm 2, was in heaven laughing at this enemy. What? You want to kill? You want to thwart my plan? Do it. I dare you. So the enemy attacked me with leukemia. The enemy wanted to kill me with leukemia. And God was laughing, smiling. Do it. Because I'm going to use that very thing to open Yosef's eyes to the beauty of the gospel so that he will know who I am. So exact same scenario, exact same scenario, but two different agendas. And God always has the last word. And that's the promise of Romans eight twenty-eight. And what's amazing in this promise is this. It means this. There's not a single random occurrence in our life. God used every little details, even those that seems insignificant. Every one of your life experienced pain and joy. And God put them together to write one great story where not a single part of our life is wasted. What happened to you when you're five six months old? What happened to you when you're 10? What happened to you when you're 15? What happened to you when your grandpa is 70? God said, I'm going to put them together to write a beautiful story. And there is no mistake in my story. He can, He does, and He will take every little detail of our life and use it for His good purpose. And that is what it means to trust in God's providence. That means this. I'm saying all of that just to simply say this point. That means this. Christians are not exempted from the storm of life. But Christians have absolute confidence that everything happens under the control of the good and sovereign God. Every bad thing, every storm that happened to our life will only lead to something far more glorious and beautiful at the end. God's providence does not remove storm from our life. But God's providence sustains us to the storm and to accomplish His good and greater purpose. And until God's story for you and me is done, you and I are invincible. But here's the most important part, the presence. Because the storms of life does not necessarily make you and I a better Christian. I know many people who encounter storms of life, Christian, who do not become better because of it, but they become bitter. They walk away from great Christian faith, and it kills them. So that means this. It is not the storm that makes us better. It is our response to the storm that makes the difference. And for us to remain strong in the storms of life, we got to know, we have to understand this very fundamental truth that Jesus, Jesus is with us in our storm. Because if we don't get this, there's no way you and I can stand firm in the midst of our storm. In verse 23, this is what Paul says. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God, angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. So now Paul is saying this, (laughs) that word to whom I belong, that's a covenantal language. So Paul is saying right now that, listen, I might be in a storm right now, but I know to whom I belong to. I know that I'm God's possession. I know that I'm His. I know that He's with me. I know that He loves me. So in the middle of the storm, Paul does not make the mistake that we often make. Okay? In the middle of the storm, this is what we often say. God does not care about me. Or, God is punishing me. But Paul say, no. I know God is with me in the storm. But how? How does Paul have the confidence that God is with him in the storm? Okay? Here's how Jesus put it. Matthew 12, 40 to 41. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The man of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, so this is what Jesus is saying. Brilliant. So Jesus now used the story of Jonah and simply says, I am the greater Jonah. I am the ultimate Jonah. Do you guys remember what happened with the story of Jonah? Jonah disobeyed God. Jonah ran away from God. And because of that, God sent the storm of the wrath of God to chase after Jonah. And when the storm of the wrath of God came after Jonah, Jonah knew, "Uh uh-oh, God is coming after me. I sinned against God. And he threatened to kill everyone in the boat. And Jonah came to the conclusion, guys, here's what you got to do. In order to save your life, you got to throw me off the the boat. You got to throw me off the boat. That's the only way. And they did. And the storm ceased. Okay, this is what Jesus said. You and I, we disobey God. You and I, we walk away from God. We disappointed God. And because of that, there's a wrath of God's anger coming after us. There's a storm of God's wrath coming after us. But here's what Jesus does: Jesus said, throw me into the sea, throw me into the storm. Let my life be in exchange for their life. So Jesus does come into the storm. Jesus entered into the storm. Jesus gave his life. And because of that, the storm of angers of God's wrath ceased. So that when you and I put our faith in him, we are no longer threatened by the anger of God. But we live in the love of God, in the grace of God. And my friend, and this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Because there is no one religion in this world that teaches that their God entered their storm. But Christianity says this, that God lost His Son for our sake. That God Himself entered into our suffering, tortured, rejected, and become the victim of injustice. Therefore, we might not know the reason right now, the reason for our storm. But we have one confident: It cannot be, it cannot be that God does not care. We might not have the answers to our pain and suffering, but we have something better. We have Jesus. He entered into our suffering, and He is with us in our suffering. And not only that, let me conclude with this. Not only Jesus entered our suffering, but He showed us by entering into our suffering, He gave us a glimpse of the glorious future that you and I one day will have. He tells us that one day there will come a day there will be no more pain, tear, or storm. And he will tell us this, that there is not a single one of your storm and pain that is wasted. How do we know? Here's how do we know. My friend, I listened to my friend Tessar preach um, on Romans eight twenty-eight, and he gave this wonderful, wonderful image that stuck with me. He says this, how do we know that Jesus will use our storm for good? Here's how we know. Look at the nails pierced hand. Because in the eternity, even with Jesus' glorious body, you can still see his nail pierced hand. And when you look at Revelation 5, when you look at Jesus, when you will worship Jesus, this Lamb of God for eternity, what you will see is, yes, the Lamb of God in all its glory and beauty, at the same time, it looked as if it had been slain. It means this, there's evidence of Jesus' suffering that you and I will see for eternity. And when we see that the evidence of his suffering, we will not be, oh, poor Jesus. Oh, no. We will worship him for eternity. The evidence, the nail-piercing will only make Jesus far more beautiful, far more glorious than if he had not suffered for us. Here's what it means. It means this. The suffering that Jesus endured at the cross only made Jesus far more glorious and beautiful for eternity. Our storm will only make our future far more glorious than it would have been without the storms. That is the promise of God for you and me. So if that's true, friends, that means this. When you and I are in the middle of the storm, we have the opportunity to not waste our storm. Because one of the brightest billboards to the beauty of the gospel is not your strength, but your weaknesses. Because it is when you're in the, midst, in the midst of the storm of life and you lost strength and you don't know what to do, and yet at the same time you're still able to cling to that hope and you're still able to think clearly and you still be able to help others. The world has no vocabulary for it. And they will take notice of you and me in the midst of the storm. Do not waste a storm because God kept His word. It is God's task to bring good out of our storm. It is our task to trust Him and act responsibly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have a God who not only knows our pain and suffering, that you actually entered into our pain and suffering, that you show us a glimpse at the cross, that you are with us Lord that you suffer for us so that in all our pain and suffering today Lord even when we might not understand what you are doing right now in our life we have the absolute confidence that you are writing a far better story than we can ever imagine and that one day that one day all the storms that we went through in life will only make our future far more glorious far more beautiful they will have been without the storm so I pray that you give us the faith to trust you and not only faith also help us to act responsibly to embrace our responsibility in the midst of the storm to continue to trust you to continue to come to you and to continue to do what is right and I pray that when we do that Lord the world will take notice that there's something different about our Christian faith and they will come to know you as their Lord and Savior Use us in this beautiful gospel movement. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.